All right, good morning, Chad. How you doing? Yeah, morning, Dane. I'm well. <laughs> Great. Start to hear it. Man, I can't believe it's just the two of us. Uh, look, just for the listening audience out there, it's the 29th of June, 2022, Wednesday morning, sun's shining. Uh, we're also basically in the first day of the new moon cycle. People out there are going to start judging, you know, this this woo-woo astrological, you know, weird shit as maybe a little bit too left of centre. But as I've been experiencing myself and hearing from a lot of my clients and people around me, there's definitely a, uh, a shift or an energetic emphasis right now on uh, the nature of connection for people. People, including myself, feel like they're... Um, being drawn to have a deeper understanding of what connection means to them, um, primarily, you know, with reference to self and, and with their partners and those around them. Uh, it's a Cancerian new moon, so it's a new moon in Cancer. That's I'm a I'm a Cancerian, so yeah, basically with birthday coming up, I know all about what it is to um, basically be influenced by the energetic influence of of the of the Cancer Sun. Um, Ironically, it's the lunar cycle that's actually one of the most influential for us. And what it does for us Cancerians is it defines us as being particularly driven to to um, to find deep connection within ourselves. And often, uh, in our more shadowy aspect, it finds us trying to find connection through our relationships or through others. Uh, there's a big drive to be uh, nurtured and to nurture in the Cancerian, we we tend to be really caring. We tend to be a little bit needy as well. Um, you know, whether that's conscious or otherwise, the Cancerians love to give. They love to receive, and there's a little bit of a often an abandonment wound in the childhood, um, sort of mothering or lack thereof mothering wound that comes along with your average Cancerian. Uh, look like anything, man. Once we say these things out loud and acknowledge that maybe that's part of us. Uh, if we consider it not to be necessarily a beneficial trait towards expansion and growth, um, with that acknowledgement, we can accept it furthermore and allow that energy to transform and morph into something we prefer to become more of. For me, I just basically go universal on this stuff. I get more broad scoped on it and uh, tend to basically go beyond my needs from other looked at my needs for myself and um, and use the universal law of interdependency that we're all one that we're all interdependent that we're all interconnected and um and yeah if i fall you know really deeply into that into that universal law and, and get out of myself um with practice things feel exactly how i want them to be which is deeply connected with myself and with you and with all human beings on a level that feels in my cancerian way really whole really powerful really vital vibrant and stoked <laughs> There we go. This is Conversations for Men and Women, podcast number 15, I believe, mate, or I might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure it's podcast number 15. It's an honor to be sitting here beside you through the interweb. And I'm curious, man, like, you know, we talk about connection on a casual basis quite often, but we've never done this formally, you know, not, not in a way that we've actually created a recorded version of it anyway. How does connection feel for you, brother? Yeah, thanks, Dane. It, um, you know, speaking of a new moon and 
and astrology and lunar cycles, it um, you know, we are all connected. We we are all connected to to the universe, to the cycles. You know, I've I've shared before on this podcast. You know, the the moon creates the tides. You know, a magnetic pull of the tides and high tide and low tide happens. You know, around twice a day. We, you know, as humans, I think now we think we're separate from nature. We think I, I feel like majority of think that we have become so individual that that's disconnected us from this feeling of oneness, this feeling of of being. You know, and, and I think that that shows in the, in the disconnection we have with self. You know, so for me it's... Um, the number one thing with connection is to try and work out how to connect with myself. You know, even if we look at the, you know, our minds, you know, we've got the, the thinker and then the observer. You know, and which one am I? And even that, that can be an epiphany in itself, you know, to realise that, hang on a minute, you know, if I'm listening to my thoughts, I can't be my thoughts. And that that there is probably the basis of, of jumping from being one way in the world to possibly being another way in the world. And I guess how much how much do we Pay attention to these thoughts, and are they good for us? What do they do for us? You know, or do they keep us disconnected from from really our true self? You know, so yeah, I think we were going to jump on and talk about commitment, but it seems like we're talking about connection, which is um. Which is a good thing because to me it all starts with connection. I think, you know, majority of the 8 billion people on the planet or the 8 billion humans on the planet probably feel disconnected in some way, you know, and obviously the way of the world at the moment in 2022, we have had a lot of physical disconnection over the last couple of years, more so than ever which is then probably got us more addicted to technology, more addicted to phones, more addicted to trying to find connection that isn't with people that are in front of us because that was taken away from us. And I've just been noticing that in myself, you know, how much I do crave connection with others. You know, there's, um, I've had clients come to me and tell me, you know, they can be in, a, be in a room full of people at a party or at a gathering and they just feel so alone. 
you know, and that's a that's a lonely place to be to feel so disconnected that you're in a in a room full of people and you're feeling alone. You know, and I guess that's probably why we do what we do, Dean. Why we are doing this podcast, why we are psychotherapists and holistic counsellors. Because in, until we become whole, I feel like we're all just running around unconsciously trying to trying to solve this mystery of life without a clue, you know, really not even sitting back to, to listen to what our head's telling us. We just run with it and we think, you know, it's almost like we think we are our thinking, you know. And that to me was probably the start of this journey was to realise that I'm not my thinking. You know, and my thinking is the thing that actually disconnects me from everybody else. You know, I I had a client the other day who all of a sudden these thoughts started coming in, you know, that she was a bad friend and she hadn't reached out to people and she hadn't heard from them, so she must have done something wrong, you know. And And when we traced it back, it actually it actually stemmed from something happened to her in childhood. You know, where someone told her she was a bad friend. And she swallowed that and she repressed it and went into the unconscious. And unfortunately, it's been directing a life for the last 30 or 40 years. Almost, almost as if we're on autopilot with this this thinking just doing what it's doing. And until we can take a step back and realise, you know, even even we are a body, you know, if we talk about connection, you know, we can talk about connection with others, we can talk about connection with nature, we can talk about connection with animals, pets, kids, lovers, friends, a sporting group, like there's so many forms of connection. But I feel until we get this inner connection sorted, the outer connection is a, is, a, is a counterfeit connection. It's like we're trying to, we're unconsciously trying to solve this inner connection problem with outer connection solution, you know. So I'll probably ask you, Dean, what are, you, um, what are your thoughts on connection or anything that I've just shared? Mm-hmm. Thanks, man. Hey, um, the first thing, Chad, that I'm tripping out on a little bit is that, yeah, I did specifically or when we specifically spoke about the topic today just prior to me pressing record, we did we did determine that it was going to be on commitment, right? And then, yeah, that, that moon just and the, the incoming tide just washed me into this zone of connection, obviously mindlessly for me or at least without mindfulness. How did that happen? It would be interesting for me to actually record, listen to the recording of this later. So, yeah, I apologise for <laughs> starting with one thing and going the other way. Um, and on the same note, I'm, I'm really pleased that it's happened that way. Um, despite it being unconscious, I'm, I'm pleased. I'm really happy that we're talking about connection because it's really, really dominant for me right now. Yeah, look, I've had, um, I've had like I said, a real theme around it just recently. And I too agree completely that um, that that mind that we like to call our own 
is responsible for for so much. It's responsible for in what I consider to be all the challenges that uh, allow us to find the teachings to, I guess, hopefully uh, unobscure, and that's a word I use all the time, or um, remove ourselves from this dominance of what we give so much power to otherwise. And the reason I feel like the challenges that lead to the teachings is um, that basically when it's dominant, um, basically we, we end up we end up just succumbing to it and being a lesser version of ourselves. We end up being lesser in so many ways. And you know, on that hierarchy of things that we typically value, um, depending on who you are and where you're at. But again, I put love and love and peace at the very top of that that hierarchy of, of valued um, of valued things, valued priorities. And then beneath that, and almost you know, wrapping that all up, I put connection. So when that mind does dominate so much, we don't necessarily, we just don't full stop have the ability to be able to feel into the, the deep love and peacefulness and, um, and connection that facilitates that nearly as extensively as what we, what we do when we're not succumbing to the power of the mind. So the teachings being that if we can disengage from the mind actively, um, if we can actually successfully disengage from the mind, we can become more loving and peaceful and we can become more connected. Um, we can become whole. We can become so many things. Uh, at the end of the day, I, I do make a reference to the becoming or the, um, you know, the, the sense of fulfilling a sense of wholeness as being a resonant or a vibrational frequency of of um of even transmission of, of peacefulness one which is undisturbed by by more erratic or more pronounced energies and you know, i think i am really happy to say out loud to you right now that i consider that to be lovingness and bottom line is when it comes to connection don't consider that we're connecting on intellectual ideas I think that we can connect on intellectual ideas, but I think, you know, as far as I'm concerned, we all value in one way or another, whether it be conscious or unconscious, as a highest priority to connect deeply in lovingness with source, with the divine, uh, with allowing that incoming tide that I described before that washed my um, my mind's idea that we're going to actually do a podcast on uh, commitment and falling into the ocean metaphorically, allowing myself to be washed into this body of so much more of love, of divine energy, um, you know, in, in flow with that tide, in flow with the disconnection of my mind trying to tell me to do otherwise, and um, basically in abandon or surrender, in letting go to, to source, to, to pure love. And connection with all because that's where we exist so again i'm just going to emphasize really briefly to myself man and allow you to be my audience of one and whoever else out there is listening that i believe quite simply as you stated i think as i'm you know restating in a slightly different form that when we learn to be able to turn the mind off we learn to basically engage with with our with source with more than just what we experience in ourselves, we experience something bigger and grander and 
more prolific um, and we call it love. And so, yeah, that's where connection comes from, as I heard you say. The question is then how do we actually disengage from the mind? How do we turn that thing off? What's it good for? <laughs> Two questions. But, yeah, first of all, how do we how do we practice the art of turning the mind off and coming into love and connection? Yeah, thanks, Dane. You know, that, that word love, you know, that's a, that's a whole podcast in itself. I think we may have had that one before. Um, but a lot of these things aren't that complicated. I think, you know, back to that mind, the mind likes to complicate them. And there's not really that many, you know, like if, if we look on a base level, everything exists with an opposite. You know, love and fear is probably the two biggest opposites of energy that we will ever encounter. You know, and then and then if we look at, if we follow those two energies, they can lead us, you know, like fear can turn into anger or resentment. Love can turn into infatuation or obsession, you know. And so to me it's, you know, this whole journey of, of life is about, trying to marry these two two opposing things together and have some sort of fluidity in the middle. You know, like love love being an energy. You know, I love the concept of love being an energy. You know what? So I can love somebody and whether they love me back or not doesn't actually matter. You know, that to me is unconditional love and and we can do it. We can do it as humans, you know, because I look at the way I am with my dog, you know, and, yeah, he'll come and sit on my lap and look for a pat, but, and he's happy to see me come home. So I guess there is a bit of, there is a bit of reciprocated love there, but, you know, when people sit down and will tell their animals they love them and talk to them, you know, like they're a person, which they are, there's none of that conversation coming back to them. The dog doesn't answer them or the cat or the fish or the plant doesn't answer them, whatever. You know, so to me that is, a, that is an outgoing example of how we can love unconditionally you know and, and I think I might have I might have talked about it in, a, in an earlier podcast but you know to get to a point where we can tell somebody we love them and it doesn't matter what comes back to me is a is a place where I think a lot of us could strive for because you know to me that is connection you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of schools of thought at the moment. A lot of scientific evidence that shows that everything is connected and everything is part of this organism we call the universe. You know, this same energy that allows our hearts to beat and allows our lungs to breathe when we're asleep. You know, this this universal. You know, and and whether you believe in God or whether you believe in you know, 
universal energy or the Big Bang, the scientific version. You know, to me, if you were to if you were to hold your hold your two kind of you know palms together and then move in an outwardly direction through evolution, either way, if we trace it back to where it came from, it has to come from one, like the same energy of the Big Bang. It's the same energy that's in the universe today, you know. They say that energy can't be lost or created. It can just be moved around. And I feel like it's almost like a breath, you know. Everything seems to be symbolic in the world to me. It's almost like a big breath, like the universe has just taken this big in-breath, you know, to expansion and evolution. And I actually had a real experience of this while I was I was doing one of my assignments at uni a few years ago. You know, and, and I personally feel like there'll be a point where we'll have to go back into a contraction phase, you know, back to that everything exists with an opposite. You know, there'll be a tipping point where we actually can't keep evolving any further. You know, and to me, I think that's why consciousness is so available at the moment. Personally, I feel like we're close to this tipping point where we're becoming so technologically advanced that we really, you know, need to start learning how to go back to, you know, I'm not my mind. I'm not my body. I'm both. You know, I'm not one or the other. And that, that would be, you know, how do we stop the thinking? Well, I guess it, I don't think we can stop it, but I think we can observe it, you know, and, and observe it and, and sometimes even laugh at it, at how crazy it can the concepts and the things that it can bring up and you know like I was I was walking in the bush the other day with my daughter and we came around the corner and and there was a black rope on the ground and she jumped you know and that would have been good if there was a snake there which she thought it was but just these associations that we do automatically on autopilot, we don't even realise why we do them. You know, there's been an association of a snake. And this all happens in the in a, you know, in a millisecond. We aren't in control of that. Just observing to me, it's it's all about observing. And that's why. You know, I practice meditation. I practice meditation a lot, you know, and it isn't because it gives me a bit of relief while I do it. I thought meditation was to switch my mind off when I first started practicing it, to switch my mind off and give me a bit of peace. But what I've realised now is that the more I meditate and the more I connect, it's almost like that's the training. And then when these events happen in my daily life, and this is stuff that I, I work with with my clients. When these things happen in my life, I can actually take a step back and, and really not engage with them. You know, so, you know, there's a, there's a saying that, you know, the mind is a, is a great servant but a horrible master. 
you know, we, we need the mind. We need the, the mind's job is to solve problems. That's that's really why we have a mind. But I think we're so caught up in that now that if we don't have problems to solve, we create problems. And then that's where this epidemic of anxiety, depression comes in that we're in at the moment. You know, I'd almost say, I, I don't know what the statistics are, but they're reported statistics. I think it's one in four people suffer in the Western world, suffer anxiety and depression, like clinical anxiety and depression. And if I'm completely truthful, I feel like all of us suffer some form of anxiety and depression, you know, and, and as all that is, if you really break it down, is that our minds are in the past and the future. You know, depression lies in the past and anxiety lies in the future. And the antidote for both those things is to live in the present moment. And that comes back to observing the mind. You know, so how do we switch it off, Dean? I guess we just observe it. We can't switch it off. We can observe it. And then the less we engage with it, the less it will control our lives. It's almost like a child throwing a tantrum. If you ignore it or you just make sure they're okay and observe it from a distance and, you know, obviously we can still send them love through that energy that, that we're speaking of, you know, that to me is what we have to do with our mind. And that allows, I believe, that allows connection because if I'm so stuck in my mind, even if I'm trying to have connection out in the world, I struggle to have true connection because my mind is just, you know, what's this person thinking about me? Should I say this? Should I butt into the conversation? You know, oh, look, there's a yellow car. My ex-girlfriend had a yellow car and I don't like her. And then, oh, no, that food shit. When I was in Italy, I, I had that and it gave me food poisoning. Like if, if we really step back and look at all these judgments we make and all these associations we make, they infiltrate the present moment and ruin it. So I guess, yeah, I'd, I'd leave it on saying really for anyone out there who, who is struggling with a busy mind, which I think is most of us, you know, jump on YouTube try a few short guided meditations. There's so much stuff out there now. Apps like Calm, Insight Timer. You know, I wouldn't I wouldn't suggest to, to take off to a uh, Buddhist retreat for nine days with a solo meditation until you've actually worked up to that. But now learning how to observe this mind and and not engage with it, you know, to me is is a start of enlightenment is a start of a completely different way of being in the world. You know, and what, what I believe Christians would say, being born again. You know, to, to be born again, to have another another way of living in the world during this lifetime, which brings deep connection to everyone and everything. And how about you, Dean? What, um, what, do you, what are some ways that you... You've worked with clients to to work through this stuff of a busy mind and you know not not being able to stop their thinking. There's um that little couple of seconds pause there was me just uh, basically taking one hand and then the other 
to the side and then bringing them to the center in front of my heart in prayer position as I breathed in and breathed out as you so uh, wisely suggested there, Chad. And um, that may be in one way or another, at least symbolically, the first guidance I'd offer myself and, and anyone looking to basically become still and more loving. Thanks so much for everything you said, mate. You actually did answer both components of my question. So what's the mind good for? Um, I, I add a little bit on top of that um, in my personal reference to what's it good for and, um, and just give us, I tell myself that it's good for communication occasionally. Communication is not always good, but it, um, it does help us communicate. Problem solving, as you said, absolutely. Creating problems, as you said, not that good, but um, at least providing us enough challenges to, to expand <laughs> through those teachings. And conceptualization, I, um, I speak to as well as far as where the mind's got some active roles of, of working for us. Uh, but, yeah, I'm <laughs> much more dominated by um, the concept, there you go, of the mind actually being um, more more harmful as far as activating or accessing our, our loving peacefulness and deep sense of connection uh, than anything else. You also spoke so well, man, to, to how you actually feel we can go about um, becoming becoming more connected, disengaging from the mind, saying those two things, you know, back to back because I'm saying they're one and the same now. And to reiterate what I what I heard in the way that I frame it, um, there was some beautiful, insightful knowledge that you presented. Uh, I referred to the the two hands and the breath that you referred to. Uh, the the fact that energy is um, not only always in flux, but it's it's not created nor ebbing. It's a constant source. Uh, again, I combine that with the notion that constant source, using that keyword source once again, is is the essence of love in a way that we can't really use words or language so much, but the mind giving it the best shot, describing in that way that we all have some kind of notion towards. When we spoke about that in the podcast just recently, we, you and I and myself, actually really struggled <laughs> to, I feel like we struggled, at least I personally struggled to articulate my thoughts around what love actually is and what it means. Um, it's, it's incomprehensible. It's what we all yearn for um, consciously and to the deepest levels of our unconscious, to the extent of our complete being. It's what we yearn for. So that knowledge really helps. I think that's a really great, that's a really great start for all of us. So when I'm making a more pronounced list of go-tos for myself and for my clients. Going beyond the symbol of the prayer hands in front of my heart and the deep breath, I suggest that basically we we get the knowledge happening, we expose ourselves to the concepts that allow us to think more broadly, paradoxically, as we're using the mind to think, obviously. And that's the beginning point, to take in the things that, talk to or speak to the languages, the communications out there that talk to and speak to these concepts of how to become more expanded, how to become more connected. And then 
beyond that initiation or that foundation, I suggest that we allow ourselves to contemplate the shit out of that. And that's something that uh, in this in this cultural world of time and present place that we exist in, we we don't value, we don't tend to value, at least culturally, the priority of creating time to contemplate. So contemplation too, it's still engaging the mind. For sure, to me, when I think about contemplation, where I communicate what contemplation is, it's it's a place which is a little bit more spacious. It's it's a place where basically I'm not actively absorbing information. I'm allowing the the cues of these knowledges or the symbols of these assimilated knowledges, these these absorbed knowledges, to actually start form meaning. So that's a really poignant point that I make um, to myself and others, and that is basically that contemplation is meaning-making, making meaning, and that's wisdom. So I feel like basically just above the foundation of allowing ourselves to be more open to other ways of being, to looking around the corners of our mind, particularly with the help of others. We need a bit of connection there. Um, just one second, chat. Sorry about that, man. I just um I just wanted to let Indy <laughs> get out the door, and I'm sure that whining's gonna distract people. So that's happening right about now in the background. Yeah, meaning making, creating, expanding, expanding our mind around the corners with the help of others through the connections that we have and with the help of deeper introspection within ourselves, the contemplation um, in that introspective place, and you know, allowing it to hopefully with that time and space integrate into wisdom. Again, all, all at the foundation, once we've got that wisdom, once we've got it, as far as I'm concerned, this is just me, I hope people basically take this with a grain of salt and go, you're full of shit, Dean, as per usual, and I've got a different way. So I, I propose, I hypothesise this is as a strategy to test, to experiment with, that we use whatever wisdoms we can through deep contemplation of whatever has come to us, and then we allow ourselves to basically disengage from the mind as much as we can. My question to you before is how do we do that? Quite simply, if our wisdom has taught us anything, I'm proposing that basically the wisdom will dictate that we get into our body and out of our mind. You suggested before that basically the body too isn't ours. It's not us. We are not the body. We're not the mind. We're not our thoughts. We're not our feelings. Yeah, not all those things that um, we conceive or perceive. You know, we're, we're not anything other than a series of experiences from present moment to present moment. But in my experiences, wisdom dictates to me that if we can sit squarely out of our head and in our heart and experience, again, for starters, what it is to be emanating glowing with a sense of lovingness, however we frame that from our heart, that is the bottom line, end of story, as to how to practice being out of our mind, how to practice connection, how to practice loving peace. I also stipulate too to myself and others that basically that's a practice and it's a practice that's best done with diligence. And I say that with my, my masculine just 
bang, 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 got to do it. It's actually, it's a non-negotiable as far as I'm concerned. Non-negotiable being that basically that practice of coming into the heart space or anything actually that your wisdom dictates that is worthy of being valued from your highest version of your perspective. And that might just be eating good food instead of Macca's. (laughs) But whatever it is, basically sit within the value priority of that experience whatever that experience is to you. So, you know, going back to the food analogy, the experience of eating healthy food energetically, getting woo-woo when we're using that word, but I can't avoid it. It's, um, it's in my vernacular on a you know, hour-to-hour basis. Energetically, I suggest that we practice um, what it is to feel the experience of healthy eating. Um, to me, to be honest, at the end of the day, that comes back to loving peace as well. Um, to me, it all comes back to loving peace. It might be the experience of what it is to go surfing. And um, that's the best thing. That's the thing I value more than anything. I value it more than I'm not actually saying this is me personally. But as an example, let's say that this person values surfing more than anything in his universe or her universe. Get out of your head, basically go into the, the, the experience, the feeling experience, the embodiment of the experience of being in whatever we associate the energy of surfing to be and become it. And that way you're going to become more of it. Again, I'm going to suggest that anything that we do have some kind of a yearning for from a higher self will eventually lead to loving peace, which is why I just go straight to the cut straight to the chase and you know, let's just go to the heart, call it love and peace. You know, the health food, the surfing, the um, the interconnectedness, the um, do good deeds for others, all good. I, I just go straight to and let's emanate love and peace from my heart for for oneself and for everybody. That's my go-to. I'm just going to stipulate again, not again, but to to counter that when we're talking about polar opposites and these energies always having a flip side. Um, absolutely, there's there's a human uh, condition that will always find tests in in every energy sphere that we um that we have an experience of and, and throw us the throw us the shadow end of that experience to to taunt us and to teach us and you spoke to the girl that said that um you know basically she felt like she was a bad friend and that was unconsciously imbued embedded in her from a young age um self-loathing judgment uh, all, all these energies that are the antithesis of the the more polar positive aspects of whatever it is, love and peace again. Until we find love and peace, man, until we find enlightenment, until we find ourselves actually united as one in non-duality, as source, those beautiful teachings I refer to, those beautiful challenges that the mind is responsible for will keep on coming at us and I suggest that we embrace those as the, the loving teachers that they can be. Um, again, going through that cycle of using that as our knowledge that's coming to us, using that as our point of reference for contemplation, using that as our reference for integrating the contemplated um, seeds into the intentions of our most valued priority and therefore wisdoms before basically, again, we go into our meditative heart space. Thanks, Dane. It um, 
you know, all those practices you spoke about and what you spoke to then, just it seems so simple. But again, as humans, we make it we make it so hard. You know, to be to be present when someone is doing an activity such as surfing. You know, they're not surfing because they want to surf better than the guy next to them. They're not surfing because they want their partner on the beach to see how good they are and then congratulate them when they come in. They're not surfing for any other reason than because they love surfing and they love the experience of surfing. You know, we we experience the world through our senses, you know, not through our thinking. And that 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 to me shows why being in the present moment, like senses come come to us in the present moment, whether we see here, touch, you know, it, it all, you know, if a client says to me, oh, yeah, I see what you mean, they don't actually see it. If the mind's taken it over again. You know, they might have a visual of it, but, again, that's created in the mind. It's not in the present moment. You know, if somebody says, I hear what you're saying, you know, if we're speaking, that's completely different because it has come through the through the years. But it's almost like these these feelings come to us, and then the mind hijacks them, and then does what it does with them. You know, but I'm just mindful of time, and that you know we're getting towards the end of this podcast, and. You know, I'd probably best experience it if you're just starting out on this journey or you're coming out of an emotional rock bottom or you've had some crisis going in your life, which is most of us in the last couple of years with with COVID and, and the way of the world. You know, it's almost, you know, a visualisation for me is almost like being in the station wagon, you know, and I've been, I've had my foot on the accelerator for the last however many years and then all of a sudden, you know, I, I hit the brakes and and the next minute all this shit comes flying forward that's accumulated in the back of that station wagon over the last 40 years because I've never actually stopped to do these contemplative practices, to do journaling, meditation, and then I'm left with it all and it becomes overwhelming. And then that tips me over the edge, you know, as people that tips us over the edge. You know, but what can I do about that? Well, I can start. You know, it's it's better if we're in constant therapy, really. I know that, you know, without being into client dependency, you know, the basic of psychotherapy is to be a long, regular process. Otherwise, we're just patching up a few little things that have come into the front seat and the rest are still stuck there with us. You know, so it, it is a practice, you know. Meditation is a practice. Journaling is a practice. All these things are a practice. It's almost like training for game day, you know. And, you know, I'm going to finish on saying, you know, will, will any of this change my life? There's, a, there's an Eastern, there's a little Eastern parable where the apprentice says to the monk, so if I do all these things you're telling me to do, if I meditate, if I, if I pray, 
if I give my life to this cause, will that guarantee me enlightenment? And the master says no, but what will happen is if enlightenment ever comes, you'll know what it is. You know, and to me that that's enough of a reason to be on this journey. You know, will these things guarantee me enlightenment? No. Will they change my life? Yes. And it comes in increments. You know, it's the time where something really happens and I react completely different to how I would have reacted previously. That, to me, makes all this stuff worthwhile. Could be in an argument, could be in a partnership, could be with a boss, could be when someone overtakes me or cuts me off on the road. You know, this stuff crosses borders into every part of our lives, not just intimate relationships. It crosses board the way I parent my children, the way I am towards a plant or an animal. You know, if I drive past a kangaroo that's been hit on the side of the road, do I stop? Do I not? You know, because an unaware mind is a self-absorbed, selfish, self-centred mind. You know, without these practices, even if we think we're unselfish, I really think we're selfish. You know, so for me, I'm going to leave that here. That, that to me, is the journey to connection to everything. Thanks so much, Chad. I'm um, just loosening the tension in my right foot as we speak. It's um, it's just starting to come off the accelerator a little bit I'm looking back behind me and crystal voyager my version of your station wagon it's bigger it's got a lot more shit in the back than what you've got i got tons of surfboards and crap everywhere <laughs> making sure i'm gentle with that accelerator or deacceleration I'm, I'm i know it's going to all come piling down on top of me otherwise so yeah that that um that metaphor is beautiful um going gently gently and i know that basically i'm taking your advice on too man that um that we can sense that we're moving in the right direction or in this case we can sense we're slowing up a little bit with the activation of the monkey mind the activation of the mind or we can sense even better that we're expanding into a sense of uh more satisfaction more loving more peaceful more connection um, I'm I'm definitely mindful of the fact that if I slow up enough that I'm not necessarily basically going to be um, doing this all for me, you know. The more I slow up or the more I move in the expansive direction of little baby steps in the right direction, I, I might be able to bring other people along for the ride. In fact, it's a valued intention that I hold, that I hold and I advocate for that we do try and bring other people along for the ride, that we hold our intentions to basically share the expansive movement in the right direction um, with others. It's got to be coupled with doing the work ourselves. Uh, it's one and the same, but that intention is really highly held priority for me. Uh, the other thing that I'm, we're just all going to have to put up with Indy in the background that wants to walk in her own direction right now. She'd love me to walk alongside her, actually, and she's just going to whine a little bit for the next two minutes, and that is what it is. 
what you actually expressed in my mind when I heard you say it with reference to the foot being at the floor of the accelerator there and basically going a mile a minute and you having your shit just like the rest of us and yes we all do there's no two ways about it as you spoke to the fact that we can be vulnerable with each other um and to me that is such a huge stepping stone of letting our ego letting our self-cherishing mind start to release its hold on trying to present this facade of being anything else we're also fucking vulnerable man we all have fear at all basically experiences on the opposite end of of love and unless we're pure love we've got fear there we've got self-cherishing that tries to protect it from the ego from the mind and the practice is with everything that we've said you know even before the knowledge of simulation meditations contemplations all that kind of stuff is let's just start with vulnerability here right here and so my vulnerability i'm really happy to express it um my path like everyone else's has got its ebbs and flows like that tide um you know it was a for me uh, i don't know it's a high tide symbolically more uh, more fulfilling than a than a low tide i got dragged out with the seaweed at the shoreline into the into the shore break in a particularly low tide not that long ago and it was um it was something that i was able to express authentically and honestly at least to my um to my mind uh, with you and with others and with nothing else but pure vulnerability and that was really beneficial so i suggest we all do the same because the more that we actually allow ourselves to be vulnerable the less grasp the mind has on our heart and the more that we can actually find ourselves being washed in with with the tide and even more so becoming at one with the divine energy source of, of love and wisdom of the ocean of divine loving peacefulness that we can all become so man that's my two cents worth for what it's worth <laughs> can't get much for two cents these days but hopefully it puts a smile on a few of your faces out there i'm dean dampany uh naturemind.com.au is where you can find me chad taylor is my just wonderful guest great mate and represented by holisticapproach.com.au on the internet and uh, we're sincerely missing Diana Black this week, who's a bit sniffly, no long, no, no doubt, feeling slightly vulnerable. Um, but she'll be back before we know it. And um, on that note, just sending you all just unconditional love and peace. And I look forward to basically having catch-ups with you in, in vulnerability and the essence of love whenever the opportunity arises. Thanks again, Chad. Thanks, Dean. Speak soon. Been great. Been great. Thanks, man.